This is the Matt Townsend Show. I would suggest you forge more character. Your guide on the side. Uh, it's, it's these interruptions that are there to teach you the lessons we need to live. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. On BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning. I'm Leanna Tan. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we have an interesting mixture of episodes, along with some advice on turning down our stress levels from Paula Davis-Lack and Heather Johnson. We also have a portion about a traveling chicken. I'm not kidding. I think Matt was taking a creative approach on this one. It includes some advice about getting along with people, some chicken noises, and of course his daily dose of roasting Ben. Here we go. Apparently, there's there are going to be people in your life. They're either, you know, they could be your children. They could be your your spouse. Uh, in Ben's case, it could be a parole officer. But you're going to have somebody near and dear to you. And these people are going to be irritants, possibly. They also could be uh, help. They could be there to lift you, to make your life better. They can tear you down, <laughs> beat you up. But if you can't work with people, then what else are you going to be left with? Well, maybe a chicken. According to a uh, a report we just got, uh, a French sailor has embarked on a journey around the world accompanied by his pet hen named Monique. Garrick Sudi. There's Monique right there. A 24-year-old from Brittany, France, has been traveling with his pet hen and chronicling... What'd you say, Monique? What'd you say, babe? Aw, cute little Monique. He's been chronicling their adventures since 2014. And, you know, for a minute he thought, maybe, maybe I ought to get a cat. I'll just have a cat, and I'll bring a cat as my companion instead of Monique. But then he thought, you know, that's going to take a lot of work. So the hen was the ideal choice. It wouldn't work. I mean, it wouldn't take work. The hen would, you know, the hen would just be there to be his friend. So now they just sit on the boat, float around the world. She follows every. She follows him everywhere. She's like just this little pal. They just sit on the side of the boat. So, Monique, what do you think about the sunset, Monique? What do you think, babe? Mmm, yeah. That's really good. What should we have for dinner, Monique? Oh, eggs? <laughs> okay, Monique. You know, I guess when it comes down to it, uh, in Castaway, it's better than a ball. It beats a volleyball. Well, at least a volleyball would, like, you'd be able to decide what it answers. Monique, does my bother, does my mother irritate you? Monique, answer me. Don't make me wring your neck, Monique. Get over here, you little chick. Yeah, I think she'd drive me crazy. And do they, it seems like it'd have a hard thing, it'd be hard to, like, stay on the boat for that little bird. Right? Because aren't boats a little slippery as you're walking along the sides? What does she grab onto her with her little I think she uses her little legs. feet to, like, grab onto the rope in case she slips. Yeah, I bet you Monique's just learned to hold onto the rope. I bet she could tie a great knot. Oh, yeah. All those sailor knots. Man. All I need to do is shout Monique and she will come to me. She's to sit on me, give me company. She's amazing. What would you choose? 
out there in the Twitter sphere, what would you choose? If you were going to take a pet around the world with you, what would you pick? A chicken? A hen? Personally, I'd want a horse. I've never had a horse. I bet a horse would be hard on a boat. Have you seen The Life of Pi? Yeah. I'd choose a tiger. Yeah, you'd be dead. Ah, uh, that kid didn't die. Well, you're not that kid. <laughs> not to be rude. I'm very good with cats. <laughs> you're kitty, 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 kitty. When you think about it, folks, in the end, you're going to have to learn to work with people or you're going to be left circumnavigating the world with a hen. Nothing wrong with that. Don't want to dissuade anybody from doing that. People matter. And so people's skills matter. We probably, in fact, I believe strongly that that's one of the reasons you're here on this earth is to figure out yourself as you interact with others, to not get caught up in like the peer pressure where you think you've got to do something for some other reason than your values suggest. Instead, I think we're here to, to discern and figure out and become a, an agent that chooses how we're going to live. Do you believe that? Are you ever going to uh, be able to perfect dealing with people? I don't think so because every person you come across will be just a little bit different. But unless you want to spend the rest of your life on a boat or alone in your house – I mean, I get it. I'm somebody, I'm an introvert sometimes. I love to just be alone, except there's also times I want to go with people. I I want to be with people. I want to hang out and learn and grow and change. So let's do what we can to start learning these skills on the personal level. Don't worry about everyone else learning them because they may not. But you in your life today can learn how to be a better team leader, how to be a better person how to read people, how to listen, how to understand, how to manage your emotion, how to manage their emotion. So a little challenge for you as we end this coaching corner, what are you going to do? What's one thing that you can go make better today in your life by working better with people? What's one relationship you need to work on? And what's the most important thing you need to learn to manage that relationship more effectively? And then get on it. Go look up something on psychology today. Go to my website at matttownsend.com. Anywhere you can, gather the information you can, get the help. Just listen to the show, for heaven's sakes. Okay, that was a little odd. But pretty much I think the basis of that little rant was that we need to learn how to get along with humans or we'll be stuck stranded on a boat with a chicken. So I'm going to play another Coach's Corner for you without chicken noises. And in this one, Matt actually goes a bit deeper into telling us how we can make changes in our lives to understand other people better. When I work with clients and couples, I cannot tell you. It's, it's almost every single couple. They, they just don't believe that uh, they, can do, that they can make a change themselves in themselves and to make a change in their relationship by themselves. But one of my favorite quotes is two heads are better than one and one head is better than zero. I would rather that just at least one person gets the idea that the, of the outward mindset where my problem is I don't have enough ability, skill, control, um, insight 
into who I'm dealing with in these other people. And if I could take, instead of just reacting to what they're doing to me, if I could actually turn it and go understand, go listen, go be impacted, then it would give me more and more power and more and more insight in how to create change and how to create a healthier life. Well, yeah, but what if the person's abusive? Right. If they're abusive, you got to be careful, but the principle still applies. If you're dealing with somebody that's abusive, it would be better that you pay attention and that you learn and you understand and you have an outward mindset instead of thinking their abuse is because of you. And then you go inward. I'm a loser. I'm no good. And then you shut yourself down and become something you're not. Over and over, I've seen these principles applied in the couples I work with, and it's one of the hardest things you can do because a lot of times when you listen to this, it induces some guilt because you're thinking, I'm, I'm a loser. But the mere fact when you're, when you're starting to process the guilt, um, you're starting to turn inward, aren't you? And inward's fine, except it's not going to change the situation. It's not going to change the scenario. So the outward mindset might simply be, how do I start to take the values and the principles I believe in and implement them with others? How do I say that I want to be, you know, a loving, caring, amazing, wonderful husband, except I, I don't do that with my partner? And I, if I, what if I don't see my partner as a person? What if I don't understand their needs? When I work with my clients, so many times um, I'll have a part, one of the partners say, I know, I know, she's been complaining about that for 20 years. And I'm like, okay, so have you tried to understand it? Well, she makes no sense. Okay, but have you tried to understand it? Then all we have to do a lot of times is sit down and start to understand it. But there's this weird game that we play where we all of a sudden think, our problem is our spouse or our problem is, um, you know, they don't hug enough. They don't touch enough. And that becomes the big problem. And as long as I'm fixated on that problem of my wife not doing this or my husband that always does this, that problem is outside of me. And I'm not going to start to do anything with it. Three basic principles, basic steps uh, seeing others, adjusting your efforts, and measuring your impact. It's called change, by the way. You got to change. Well, when, when are they going to change? You can't worry about when they're going to change. You got to change. Well, you make it sound so easy. I know. And you make it sound so complicated. <laughs> it's human nature. If you're mad, don't assume you're mad because someone else is violating your life. Why don't you just assume you're violating some principle? That's why you're mad. If you weren't violating a principle, you probably wouldn't have a need to be mad. What What's the one thing that you know you need to do? The one thing that has been, oh, just chasing you. If I just, I just got to do this one thing. If I, if once I'm in shape, this is going to happen. Once I, uh, Once I'm a better dad, this is going to happen. We have these ideas. We carry them with us for years. Then all of a sudden, boom. You you can't fix certain things. A heart attack. 
I really should have been exercising. <laughs> Blasted. It's it's a big deal, folks, and all of us are battling life. It's you know, I don't ever want you to get depressed because of we keep bringing you things you can do. You don't even need to do it, but you could do something. Just do the thing, the one thing that you know if you would just do it, it would it would have an impact. Well, I can't. I've tried to start an exercise program. You don't even need to try to start an exercise program. Just go start doing an exercise program. You don't need to build up a really intense program. You don't need to. You don't need to, you know, lose weight and start. You don't need to buy a scale. You don't need to do all that. Just whatever's on your list. I really need to call my kids, but it's so hard to call them because they make me always feel so bad. All right. So why do you keep being prompted to call your kids? I'm a big believer that uh, the answers are already in you. I don't – when I work and coach somebody, I don't need to um, to make up new things for them to do. Lao Tzu, one of my favorite quotes, is at the center of your being, you have the answer. At the center of your being, you know who you are and you know what you want. So the center of you knows. Maybe your heart knows but your head tells you something different. Your heart tells you you just need to focus on family. Your head might be telling you, but I, I can't because I'll get behind in my career. Your heart might tell you, don't worry about weight. Worry about health. But your head's like, I don't know, I've already gained 10 pounds and I look horrible next to Stacy who went to high school with me. And then your, your head carries you away. Your heart already knows who you are. I call that your essence, right? The essence of who you are already knows that you're amazing, phenomenal, incredible. But then we get caught up in our ego and our ego's like, you got to beat everybody. You got to be faster. And if you're not going to be faster, then you need to label yourself as incredibly slow with no hope. Roadkill. So our egos make us either be better than everybody or worse than everybody. But your heart gets that, you know, you're good. Your heart gets that there's stuff you should be doing, but it also knows why you're not. It doesn't bring you peace, though. So your peace is only going to come by living in your essence. Your peace won't come long-term by living in your head because you're only as good as your head is good. And your head's going to change every time the lady next to you loses a pound. You're going to need to lose a pound if that's how you measure. If you measure by wealth, then as soon as your neighbors inherit more money or earn more money or triple their income or buy a bigger house, your head says, see, you're a loser. And your ego kicks in. Meanwhile, your essence doesn't care if you're in a big house or a little house. Your essence just cares that you're connected to God, that you are connected to family, and that you're becoming better at who you are supposed to be. Basic, right? Basic. So be careful. As we, as we go through life, it's, it's every one of us. We're chasing, we're chasing the illusion. We're chasing the dream. We're chasing the stuff that's really not even what we're about. And we'll get entirely exhausted in the chase. 
And eventually, I'm worried that some of us will get too tired to chase anymore. But we'll find ourselves you know, climbing that ladder of success one rung at a time. We finally get to the top and we realize the ladder's against the wrong wall. Ugh, we've become something we didn't even care about becoming. So just watch it. So ask yourself this one question. What is the one thing, not big, just what's the first step I need to take today? And go take that step. What is it? To become the change. A little bit of the change. Now, wasn't that better? Don't you feel more enlightened? Just to recap, Matt said that we can't worry about when others will change. We can only decide to change ourselves. He said that the three steps to creating change in yourself are seeing others, adjusting your efforts, and measuring your impact. Now, if you're taking a break from work right now in order to listen to this or using Matt's voice to lull you into a nap like sometimes I do, you shouldn't feel guilty. This next interview is all about how taking moments away from our daily responsibilities to recover and recharge is a necessary part of life. We'll have that interview and more coming up. I think we can all agree that we need a break from work sometimes, right? When you think of the rest, the relaxation, the recovery, you probably picture sunbathing under some palm trees, maybe with a little tropical smoothie in your hand. But uh, what if you don't have time to relax? You got all that planning, all that travel, those stressful meetings. You're just trying to plow through your job. Well, today uh, we have a stress and resilience expert, Paula Lack Davis. Paula Davis Lack. She's been on the show before and... uh, Today, we're picking her brain about five ways to unplug when we're short on time. Paula, welcome to the show. Thank you for being with us. Oh, thanks so much for having me back on. Good to have you. This is this is such a perfect topic because now I'm battling a cold, and it's oh, probably because you. I never took your advice earlier. I've got to <laughs> figure out how to unplug. <laughs> oh, I hear you. I'm, I'm uh, battling my own uh, little cold as well, and I think lots of us are too, and What's really funny is I was talking with a coaching client last night, and she she was talking about how she finally unplugged from work. She's a physician because she got sick. And so uh, I think it's really interesting that a lot of us are starting to think like um, stillness is is now forcing us to actually slow down and and unplug a little bit. Oh, that is horrible. I just did it. I spent a week out last week. And um, but you don't unwind because now in my head, I'm thinking I've got so much more to do now. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because one of the things that she had mentioned, too, is that she uh, she actually didn't open her computer for a few days, which she said felt really great. But then she realized, oh, my gosh, I'm so far behind on answering emails and getting, you know, back up to speed with where I, you know, would have been had I not been sick. So it's a double edged sword. Oh, and this is something that I'm assuming more and more companies have to deal with because we used to be. You know, you could leave your job because the phones weren't connected, the emails weren't connected to you. Now it seems like I'm I'm always on. We are always on at work, and it's uh, really something that's snowballed into a, a really big problem that I think uh, a lot of companies are facing. Especially, you know, when they when they give me a call and they say, "Hey, can you come in and talk to our employees about burnout?" 
and and I do. And one of the things and one of the questions that I always hear is, you know, how does technology sort of drive all of this? I mean, and we know that um, we are expected to be tethered to our devices 24-7. And even if that's not the message that's sent in your workplace culture, we just feel that that's the case. We hear that ding or we see that little light flash on and, and it draws our attention and we and we feel like we have to be responsive and that cuts into family time, that cuts into personal time, that cuts into relaxation and recovery time. And, you know, we're really seeing the effects with increased burnout rates. Mm. You talk about internal recovery versus external recovery. Explain that to us. Sure. So internal recovery, uh, I think a lot of people think, especially, you know, you're working hard at work and you just sort of pound through and you want to get home and that's when you'll have time to rest and relax and catch up. Um, but the research is, is really clear in showing that if you really want to yeah, slow down the effects of burnout and manage your stress in a better way, you have to be able to find moments of recovery and recharge both at work, and so that's the internal recovery, and outside of work. So that's the after work hours, that's the weekends, that's the vacation. So you have to become good at combining both of those. Mm. Yeah, you can't either or it. No, but we do. Yeah, we do, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> but then you're just burning the candle at both ends, and eventually you're just a burnout. Absolutely. Hmm. I think that's what I'm going through right now. So um, <laughs> when you say recovery, uh, is that different than recreation? We always hear about we need more recreation, and I love the word recreation, where we're mm-hmm. supposed to be recreating ourselves. But it seems like recovery is more like putting yourself back together. I think it can be both. I think one of the problems that we see is that when you don't recover enough, when you don't take that recreation time or that recharge time, it's going to take you longer and it might be a little bit more difficult to maybe put yourself back together, if you will, from from all of the stress, the accumulated stress you've been experiencing. Um, so, so recovery, I think, is really meant to be really a, a daily habit that we start to get into so that we don't have to sort of pick up the pieces in a more drastic way, you know, after weeks or months or even years of, of ignoring kind of what we're supposed to be doing on a, on a habitual basis every day. Mm, man, it really is. It's um, like uh, I was supposed to start this exercise program that we were filming for TV, and <laughs> I thought, but I was sick last week. And even this week, they're like, okay, hey, so do you want to shoot it Friday? And I'm thinking, I really... I feel like if I go try to exercise, which seems like a great recovery idea, except yeah. not if you're exhausted. No, it, 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 so then it sort of defeats the purpose. Right, so, yeah, then I'm just, it's going to, it'll be another week or two or three. No, and, and one of the things, too, so if you can get in a habit of exercising on a regular basis, it might have downstream effects like producing fewer colds or illnesses or kind of helping to inoculate you more from yeah. stress down, down the road. But um, once you're actually sick, I mean, I've just been going through this, too. I I have this lovely workout routine that I love. Um, It's a kickboxing routine. But when I'm so stuffed up and I can't, like, bend my head over or I feel like I'm going to pass out because I'm so stuffed up, the exercise at that point is is pointless. Yeah. You may as well just, you know, do your funeral services. Get those ready. (laughs) Hey, um, let's go through some of your points and then we'll take a break. Let's just actually do the first one. You you talk about a Zagarnik effect. Explain what is that? We need to tame the Zagarnik effect. What in the world? 
Yeah, I thought that that was sort of an interesting little uh, term to throw in there. But it refers basically to the researcher who discovered that uh, when we sort of look at our to-do list and we see all of these unfinished tasks, we tend to ruminate, which is to just sort of think over and over, and we can't escape kind of that circular thinking in our head about everything that we didn't accomplish. Mm. And I hear this from so many people who wake up in the middle of the night or they are laying in bed just staring at the ceiling because they're just thinking about all of the stuff that they didn't get done and that they're going to have to face and do the next day that's keeping them awake. And so the way to really um, overcome that, and, and I literally have a pad of paper by my bedside which is to just get it out of your head. So I call it a brain dump or a brain spill. So if you're thinking about all the stuff that you didn't do or you need to do, just write it down. Even if it's 2 in the morning, it just the act of transferring it from your brain onto a pad of paper really lets your brain go, oh, thank you, I don't need to you know, keep thinking about this anymore. And it really shifts gears and helps you be able to fall asleep in a better way. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that's really important is to actually have it be a piece of paper because I've had, I've had folks try this where they're like, oh, I'm just going to make a note on my phone. And what happens is then they open their phone, they start to check email, that winds them up more, mm. and the process you know, doesn't, really, doesn't really help. Yeah. I taught time management forever, and we would always say, well, don't whatever you do, don't pull out another Post-it note kind of thing. But now we pull out the phone, but the phone is a stimulant, right? It, it wakes oh, us yeah. up. It makes it so our mind spins faster. And so interesting. Write it down. Make your list. You can then take a picture of it later and put yeah, it in your you phone. Yeah, you your phone later and take a picture of yeah. it if you want. If you really are obsessed with getting it <laughs> in your great. phone. Oh, that's some right. great. That's some great. I did not know the Zagarnik effect, that tendency to ruminate. Interesting learnings, Paula. Let's take a break, come back and continue the discussion about how we can, uh, I don't know, buy us some time, unplug when we still are about life and business. Stick with us, folks. More with Paula Davis-Lack. Go check out her website, Paula Davis-Lack, with two A's, L-A-A-C-K.com. She's a great resource. She's been on Forbes, you name it, the the Steve Harvey Show, Self Magazine. She's everywhere. She's teaching us today how to be healthy and still productive. It's the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. I've never had a game on my phone before until like three days ago when somehow I got roped into this advertisement and ended up downloading this word game onto my phone. And I was feeling so guilty about it. Like last night when my husband caught me taking a break from cleaning to play a couple word games and I felt so guilty, but then he just laughed and he said, it's good for me to take a break. And instead he took a break from his homework and sat down on the couch with me, and we played a few word games together. And it was great. And now I feel even less guilty after listening to this interview with Paula Davis-Lack. She said that there are increased burnout rates across the nation today, and that if we don't take small moments in the day to recover, it will just build up and in the long run take much longer to put ourselves together. So let's listen to the rest of this interview where she gives us the formula for the steps we need to take to either form some good new habits or curb our bad old ones. 
You talked to us about the Zagarnik effect, how we need to tame it, which is our tendency to ruminate. So instead of thinking and thinking about what we should be doing, make a list, get it out of your head, write it down, and then go to bed. Um, another tool you give us is to create an 11-minute habit. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So there's some really interesting science around how habits are created, and it's really this three-step process, essentially. So when we think about a habit that you have, a habit that you want to maybe start or maybe a habit that you want to break. So for me, it's easier to think about a habit that I want to break, which is what I write about in the article. So so what happens when you're forming a habit is the first step is, is a cue. So it's that trigger that tells your brain to sort of go into automatic mode, like, hey, we've gone through this, we've gone down this pathway before, here we go again. The, the second part of a habit is the routine. So it's the actual physical, mental, or emotional activity that you do. And then the last step is the reward or the payoff. What's mm. that lovely little feeling or thing that you get that makes you go, oh, that's right. This is why I love doing this particular activity. Um, it's going to cause me to do this activity over and over again. So that's really the three-step process for creating a habit. And the 11-minute part was really just um, actually from a friend of mine because she thought, she's like, I'm super busy, but I know I can at least find 11 minute, eleven minutes in my day to either work on building something or work on curbing something. Mm. So in the article, I just write about sort of one of, the, one of the habits that I'm trying to get better at breaking, which is this habit that I have in the evenings of wanting to eat something sweet, and that usually means making chocolate chip cookies. Uh, <laughs> For myself. And so what I've noticed is that right around 8 o'clock, I, I, I get bored. You know, like I'm not working on anything. I'm sort of done for the day. Our daughter is in bed. Uh, and so I'm just sort of sitting there. And that uh, triggers this need to like, okay, actually get up and do something. So I uh, then go and make cookies. And then at the, when I'm done, I eat the cookie and I go, oh, this warm, wonderful cookie mm. is so delicious. Um, but instead of doing that, what I'm trying to do is to sort of replace that with a smoothie or something that's a little healthier that will still give my brain that little fix that goes, oh, yeah, yeah. it tastes great. But instead of it being a cookie, it's, it's something that's a little bit healthier. Yeah, and it's but it's also you can recognize, oh, hey, it's time to make my smoothie. You create a cue. I do this with couples that are arguing and – Instead of doing the fight or flight routine, you could make a new habit of recognizing emotion or I mean, and it doesn't matter what it is as long as you're kind of turning it into now a healthier automatic response. Sure. So really um, what what is recommended is just to spend 30 seconds or or less on the cue, uh, 10 minutes or so on the routine part, and then 30 seconds or less reflecting on the reward. Mm. So just starting to build that into your day. And and if you actually, it seems like sometimes we don't ever, we don't spend any time focusing on the reward, but it's the reward that made the whole other 11 minutes worth it. Oh, absolutely. And especially if you're talking about a positive habit that you want to start, um, not not blowing by that great feeling that you have when you have exercised or, you know, a lot of people talk about the runner's high if, you know, if you're, if you're a runner, that good feeling that you notice. You know, even if it was an intense workout and your muscles are sore, maybe later on in the day you're like, wow, I actually noticed that I have more energy. Making note of that is really important. What do you say to the person that thinks, you know, that taking a break, uh, meditating in the day, taking a nap even in the day, it's just, it's not, it's a waste of time. You shouldn't be doing any of that. 
Oh, I hear this all the time, especially with my uh, corporate work, because I think when I suggest to people that they need to take breaks during the day, managers and leaders all of a sudden perk up and the look on their face is like, no, right. they need to do, they can't stop. And, and one of the things that I really try to emphasize, especially if you're talking about that internal recovery at work, is that it doesn't need to be long and really shouldn't be long. So we're not advocating that you go, you know, spend an hour recovering or relaxing. It's more like how do you build in these small little doses of five minutes here, maybe even 10 minutes there. And, you know, we know that there's a lot of effective things that can be accomplished in five or 10 minutes. Meditating is one of them. Um, A recent study actually talked about how um, you can just reflect. So just do like five minutes of reflective writing about how you feel you're making a difference at work, how um, you're deriving some meaning from your work, if that is something that you actually do derive as meaning from your work, or or even something simple like showing gratitude to someone who you work with. Like, Mm. have you forgotten to thank somebody who helped you with this big project three weeks ago? And it doesn't take any time at all to shoot somebody an email or actually walk down the hall and acknowledge and say thank you. So it's little bits and doses that should just be kind of sprinkled in during your day. Yeah. What do you suggest any technology we should be using that would alleviate some of this daily stress? Yeah. So here, here we're talking about how we're always tethered to our devices and we, you know, we can't um, break free. But I think that what can really help people is to take advantage of um, different apps that are on your phone that can help you uh whether you want to start that meditation habit or or do um, something else or track something else. Um, So one of the apps that I talk about in the article is something called Moment. So that actually tracks your frequency of automatic phone use. So if you're actually concerned that, you know, you're reflexively without really any purpose kind of staring at your phone all the time, download that app and that can help you um, sort of track that. Uh, Another app is called Happify. Mm, And that um, is one that delivers science-based activities to your phone to help increase your well-being. Um, The app Headspace uh, is one that I have tried that offers some guided meditations and mindfulness strategies. So there's lots of different uh, apps and ways that you can use technology for good instead of for evil. Oh, man, I did Headspace once um, and loved it. I meditated in my car before I went into my office. When I was going to go work with clients, I, I I set it for an automatic response, and then I got away from the habit, and now yeah. it emails me every day at about 3 yeah. o'clock saying, time for headspace, and I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, you're driving me crazy. Now I can't. Now I'm totally stressed. Exactly. It, yeah. But so it's great. I, yeah. I tried I did the same thing. I actually tried it for a little bit, and then I stopped using it, and then I ended up I, – I actually took it off, off my phone for the same reason you're talking about how it was – the constant reminder started to be something that was stressing me out yeah. and helping me. So, And then I just noticed I just started making cookies every day at 3, and I've gained 30 pounds. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I call it, I'm going to make an app called Belly Space, and it's That's all about right. growing your belly space. <laughs> That's right. Hey, uh, as we wrap up, um, talk to us about what we should, like, what would you say, Paula, is the one thing, if we're going to just say one thing we can do, to create some of that space in our hearts, our heads, to decompress while we're working, um, what would what would be the number one thing we can do? Wow. So there's there's really a lot, but one of the ones that I tend to keep coming back to is this whole notion of, of trying to, to find ways to increase 
your positive emotions during the day. Um, we as human beings are hardwired to notice and seek out and remember negative stuff. And with everything that's going around in our world right now, it's so it's so easy to focus on what's going wrong and it's all going to heck and it's never going to get any better. But but just remembering, and even if that is tracking on uh, you know your phone or a piece of paper, a couple of good things that happen each day with a reflection about why that thing is important. Um, people who do that activity on a regular basis, so yeah, four or five times a week or so, notice less depression, higher life satisfaction, and uh, better relationships and better sleep, which mm. is something that I think we all need more of. So so just finding ways to increase your diet, as I call it, of, of positive emotions, I think is something that's really easy, doesn't take time, um, that people can start to do. Beautiful. Paula Davis-Lack is her name. Go check out the website, stressandresilience.com. Wonderful resources there. Her blog, she's everywhere. From uh, the Matt Townsend Show to Steve Harvey's show, Women's Health, Psychology Today. She's a wonderful resource. Also has a wonderful ebook, Addicted to Busy, Your Blueprint for Burnout Prevention. See, she even said that we need to take advantage of our phone apps. Man, I feel like a weight has been lifted off my chest. Really great advice. Our last interview, I think, really ties into the topics today. So we've talked about how there are increased burnout rates in adults because we overwork ourselves. But what about in kids? Are they facing some of the same issues as us? Coming up, Heather Johnson advises us against overloading kids with activities and holding them to such high expectations of performance. Welcome back, friends. This is the music of uh, <laughs> this is your this is your new music for Heather Ann Johnson. Hadge, we call her. She's America's top family coach. Hadge, you're soaking in it. Thanks, Heather Ann Johnson, for being here. Heather is a uh, she is a coach extraordinaire, a faculty member here at Brigham Young University, where she teaches families, how to be healthier and how to be happier. She has a website, familyvolley.com. Now, you were you wanted to talk about the fact that we may be messing our kids up. Yes, again. We overload them. We give them all of these, these roles they have to play. They've got to be killer students. They've got to be top of everything, sports, athletes, musicians, yep, we do. until their head blows. It's exactly right. We, it, we call it activity overload. And it's a very real thing. We've got our kids in so many things nowadays. We expect them to just do everything. Yeah. Very and young. Why? Why are we so stressed that – do we just think it's all got to be – if we blow it and mess these kids up by not having them do enough, then they're going to what? Just stay home and live with us forever? <laughs> or heaven forbid, play. Yeah. Have right? a life. Relax. Think a be little a bit. Be a child. Yeah. Be a kid. Well – there's a lot of there could be a lot of different reasons, but really that's where we have to start in evaluating why we actually do it. There's a lot of pressure from society that says if your kids aren't involved in a multitude of things, 
they're not cool kids. They're, they're just not doing enough. They're not right. reaching their potential. And then there's always also that thought where it comes back to us where we're better parents the more things our children are involved in, right? Which is so sad. Why is there this stigma that, you know, if I'm able to say, yeah, my kid swims and plays the saxophone and does this and does this and does this, that that makes me a better mom. Right. And it doesn't. And so the first thing we really want to do when we're thinking about if our children need to be involved in a lot of things, we need to take a step back and really evaluate the motives for why we're doing it. And oftentimes we'll find that we're doing it more for ourselves than mm-hmm. actually we are for them. Right. right? Even, even that thought, you know, you hear it all the time. Men tend to, to follow this path a little bit more where it's an unfulfilled dream. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, man, I, I was so close to that dream in college. <laughs> I just, I've got to get my kids. Somebody's got to get there for me. Right. And so we push and we push and we push. A lot of that push too leads to what we call specialization. And specialization refers to encouraging, forcing, however you want to look at it, our children to choose one activity, choose it very, very young, and that's their activity till death. Just stick you know? to it. Right. And and we've heard it uh, referred to too as the 10,000-hour rule, right. right, where a child has to have 10,000 hours in something. And if they don't, they can't become a professional. And so we mm. want our kids to be those things and be successful. And so, you know, to hit 10,000 hours, we start when they're two. And it's, you know, <laughs> we're, so just, crazy. we're just making them choose and, and yeah. we're keeping them there. Well, what does a five-year-old know about what they want? They don't. It seems like you need 10,000 choices, not 10,000 right. hours. <laughs> right. It's exactly right. And so we want to take a step back and just really, really soul search and decide why in the world am I pushing this? Why am I so actively engaged in, in encouraging you to be in a million different things instead of letting them actually play and be yeah. kids and, and evaluate that? That's great. I mean, that, I mean, I guess that's the key is so we don't want to overload them and we also don't want to you know, specialize them very early. Not young, not young. And we'll get to that to where the time is right. We want to make sure we hit this lastly. And those are these are some guidelines for us when it comes to what our kids should be involved in. And I always suggest that you let age be your guide. So here's what this looks like. Children need no more than the number of hours per age per week. Okay. So to explain that, if you have a four-year-old, they don't need any more than four hours of structured activity a week. Therefore, hmm. an eight-year-old, eight hours of structured activity a week. The rest should be play. And so if you break that down, children under 12 essentially need 80% of their time, their free time. We're not talking about school, yeah. right? 80% of that leftover time should be spent in pure play. Play is where they discover, where they create, where they cooperate, where they fight and figure it out, where they figure out what their physical abilities are. So 80% in unstructured, 20% in structured. 13 to 15-year-olds, the recommendation switches to a 50-50 split, 50% in structured, 50% in unstructured activities. And it isn't until our kids hit 16 that we suggest they start to choose a specialization where they spend Mm. 80% of their time focused on one single thing. That's great. And isn't it interesting that 80% yes goes to structured activities, but there's still that 20 that is highly suggested they play. Just relax. Just relax and play. Uh, they also suggest that pickup games, things like that, you know, randomly playing your instrument, that can do more than the structure lesson to where it's, you know, they just grab some kids from the neighborhood and they play basketball. Let it be unstructured. Let mm-hmm. it be by choice with the fun behind it. So those are some really solid That's guidelines. Great. Look at your children. Look at their age. See where they fall. And then see how close you can get to those splits. And you will watch your family in a million ways settle 
yeah. to this very comfortable place where you start to grow together as a family, opposed to feeling like you are just in a rat race oh. to grow these, you know, superhumans that, to be honest, very few of us have kids who actually get to no. the professional they level. Just, who get, well, and, and honestly, yeah, it's just not going to happen. And then even when they do, it's three years. Right. It's different. And then they still have to go sell insurance. Right. And remember, the key here should be to focus on what creates successful families. Specialization and over, you know, overworking our kids, that does not show links to successful children. Mm. What does show links to successful children are families who eat dinner together, children who are taught to work, children who are taught to manage and maintain their emotions. That is runs the gamut That's every it. time we look at kids, right? Uh, developing huge. relationships with them, teaching them a growth mindset that they can work hard. Those things are always linked to successful kids. And allowing not failure. Overload. It's exactly right, which comes with that growth mindset, right. this idea that you can fail and it's not doomsday. You can work harder, refocus, and succeed. So stuff. if you want to know where to focus, instead of so much the activity overload, focus on what we do know creates successful children. Put mm. your energy there. Is there a recommendation for 46-year-old men and the balance <laughs> of fun and organized, structured yes, activities? Yes, I, I think you, in your life you, you have too much structured and not enough fun. I totally agree. <laughs> Will you write a note to my wife? Sure, I can. We need more, less structure. <laughs> I'll sign it at the bottom. Yeah. She'll be like, yeah, I don't even care about this. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Heather Johnson, thank you so much. You can find out more at uh, familyvolley.com. Go check out that website. You know, sometimes I feel subpar to others because I never felt exceptionally good at one thing, just mediocre at a bunch of different things. But maybe that means that my parents did something right and actually let me play as a child versus forcing me into a tutu and ballet shoes since I was two years old. All right. Well, we've learned a lot. Like... That two heads are better than one, but that one head is better than zero. That peace comes from living your essence. That taking naps and a break is not a waste of your time. And that teaching your kids how to work hard will go much farther than forcing them to play the violin. So I think we heard a very broad range of things today, including some random chicken sounds. Thanks for listening in, everyone. We'll be back tomorrow with more Matt Townsend. Matt Townsend.